Welcome to the Manager Material Podcast. We're going to chat about all the things that make you manager material. I'm your host, Erin Jackson. If you're already a Manager Material member, make sure to check out the podcast paper section in the community for the guide on this episode. Let's dive in. I'm so excited for y'all to get to know Jen, who is the SVP of Shared and the acting GM at a private aviation company called XO, which is actually owned by Vista Global, a much larger global uh, private aviation company, but XO is based here in the US. And I'm so excited to talk to you today on this podcast outside of our normal routine of um, management consulting. So if you will, just give us a little bit of background about you, your personal life and who you are. Awesome. Well, Erin, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, we have built such a great relationship over the last couple of years, and this is just feels right. Um, so my role at EXO, I've had multiple roles at EXO, but currently I am the uh, senior vice president slash acting GM over our shared business. So I'm based in Fort Lauderdale. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. I am a sunshine kid. Um, I have two lovely kids. I have a almost five-year-old and a three-year-old. So they keep me busy outside of any work-related stuff. And a uh, wonderful husband that we met in college at Embry-Riddle. So for people that don't know aviation, you hear things like NetJets and you hear things like JSX and then you hear aviation brokers. Can you help explain how the Vista Exo world is a little bit different from those? Yeah. Um, so the Vista global world, we can suit flying needs for virtually anybody, uh, which sounds crazy because we were flying private aircraft, but from shared charter all the way up to the Vista program membership, we can hit ultra, ultra luxury travel, or you can hit convenient travel, right? At a premium, but still convenient travel. So you can do on de- on demand travel meaning you're not paying a guaranteed hour price, you're paying dynamic market price, which is great for the sporadic traveler, right? One who doesn't need a guarantee all the time. Um, Or you can say, look, I'm flying 100 hours a year. I need to know my price. I need to just book it in advance. I need a plane ready within 24 hours. Then you pay a premium hourly rate, but your your guarantees are, are set. And then you have our shared flyers who a lot of times also do both. So we'll fly charter and then we'll do shared when it's, you know, just one person, they don't need a whole aircraft. Uh, And on those, you can book directly in the XO app. You can select the route that you want, look at the times. We fly from multiple different airports in the the New York metropolitan and then multiple, multiple different airports out of the South Florida metropolitan. Awesome. So what was life kind of growing up like for you? It was awesome. It was really fun. So I grew up in a, a large family. So I have uh, grew up with five siblings uh, with my wonderful parents who owned a restaurant growing up. That's where we made our, our you know, chore money. I would be the toaster girl or selling donuts behind the counter. So I always had a passion for, for work. My dad was an extremely hard worker. So he was there about six, seven days a week. You know, you learn a lot when you work at a young age. You learn about time management. You learn about, you know, grit, hard work. I mean, if I'm selling two donuts to somebody, why can't I sell them a dozen? So you learn a little bit of sales tricks right at a young age. I played soccer my whole life. So when it wasn't, you know, sports or anything, we were always at the beach with all of our friends. It's really nice. So I'm, I'm excited to raise my kids down here. Will you talk us, to us about how you ended up 
at Embry-Riddle, what you were doing there and what you learned and how that kind of launched you into aviation? Yeah. So every year in South Florida, we have the, we host the Air and Sea Show. And you're under the sun, awesome planes are going by. And I think at the age of eight, I was like, I want to fly that. I want to be a pilot, not just a pilot. I want to be a military pilot. So life goes on, whatnot. I'm working a wedding with my dad and the couple that was getting married, they were both in aerospace engineering and they went to Embry-Riddle. And I was like, that's it. That's where I'm going to go. Uh, so fast forward a year, I ended up my freshman year at Embry-Riddle, which is the best aeronautical university in, I would say, the world, um, but also top institute for, for engineering. So I ended up switching my, my path to, towards communications and then ended up staying because I had enough eligibility with, uh, with playing soccer to get my master's in uh, transportation economics, which is where this passion of you know, making money in travel right? And how we make money and travel came into play. So while I was in grad school, um, one of my great friends who he was working at this cool, fun jet company, he went to an, another aviation university and a friend of mine was looking to move to Fort Lauderdale. So I wasn't even moving home yet. Um, and I was like, oh, well, a friend of mine works at this cool jet company. It's like a tech thing. I was like, I'll try to squeeze you in and see if I can get you an interview or pass your resume along. And she got her foot in the door. And then she ended up uh, working 70 hours a week at this point. And I remember she was like, Jen, you got to come and work for us. And I remember telling her like, you work a lot of hours and like a bit too much. And I'm, you guys are, you guys are crazy. Like you're sleeping at the office, you know? So then I graduate and of course I end up working there. Um, so I finished grad school. I think I did my last class in London, started at JetSmarter. I was originally hired to do sales. But in true startup fashion, my first day on the job, it was like, hey, so can you do this instead? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, just happy to be here. Um, so then ended up working with a colleague of mine and we started building up what was custom shuttles back in the day, right? So it was a new branch within JetSmarter where you could create your own shared charter. Uh, and we were working on all the contracts. So we were doing all of the off-leading for, for these contracts. And back then there was no data and i had just finished grad school right so i'm like something's good something something's got to give you know so there's got to be somebody tracking what's what we're doing here mind you i was 25 years old and the oldest one on the floor so just to put it into perspective uh, but it was we we were doing a great job with what we had uh, so from there, I we built up a sourcing team, right? So our team went from just the two of us working seven days a week to four of us, to six of us, to then a global team. Um, so then, you know, we were there for a few, quite a few years. And then we started, right, as any startup, right? You start building up for acquisition, right? So you start tightening things up a little bit. You start having the uh, your investor that's coming in and kind of, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Right. So doing the risk analysis. And that to me was the coolest part of most of like probably the most fun part of this whole journey. It was the first time that all the data I'd been collecting for a few years, somebody was like, Oh good, we have this. And I'm like, yeah, we need to look at the why behind it. Um, so we did a big structure, kind of a, a business model change, right? And it was because we had the numbers behind it and to understand that we're, there's too much risk 
into what we're doing, too many, too, too big of a financial risk. But we can make this work not only for the company, but also for our clients. Um, and obviously, right when we were making these changes, it was really tough to make these changes from a client standpoint. Um, but within a month, we were profitable. And the month after that, we were incredibly profitable. And the month after that, we were even more profitable. And then fast forward to three months, we were acquired by Vista. So it happened so fast, but it was such a rewarding experience because I was brought into the conversation from the get-go because it, we were we were doing all the purchasing, all the buying. So all of the cost was sitting in my under my name, right? So am I, you know, holding my feet to the fire? But uh, we were tracking everything, right? So we had all the tracking, all the spend, um, and that was really fun. And we got to do from there. It was how do we build this up to be a sustainable business model for the future? Um, and then our sourcing team grew after the acquisition. So we started taking on all of the off-fleet buying for VistaJet, for Exo, for you know JetSmarter. We still had a little entity there um, for all recoveries. So we went from a team of six to a team of like 15 within a few weeks. And they're rock stars, right? Every single team member that we had on that team is still with us today, right? In various roles, in leadership roles, in developing roles, like on other departments. So it's really exciting to see the growth of, you know, the people who I kind of started with. Um, and then come 2020, whole world shuts down in March, Ooh, kind of. In March, they were flying everywhere to get to their destination to be there for a few months. Um, and then April hits, we're silent. Like there's nobody looking for trips. Everybody's kind of in the unknown. Um, but we're so grateful that our company held on to us, right? They did right by the employees and they held on to every single person. And thank goodness, because May was the busiest month. May of 2020 was the busiest month we've ever seen. We beat January 2020 numbers when there was no such thing as a pandemic in January. <clears throat> and every month we, we broke new records. So thank goodness we needed that staff where the rest of the company, the rest of the world was understaffed by May. We were, we were booming. We were at that point understaffed because we were busier than we had ever been. Um, but it was amazing to see that growth. And then I was asked to take on a new role to expand. Um, and then we've built up for the last couple of years, a, a really amazing world-class service department that's now account management where we can handle these big accounts, we can service these big accounts, we can source the aircraft for them, we can recover them with our recovery team that we put together. Um, and then more recently, right, that was a fun a fun time, building new dashboards, giving them insight into client data, right, giving them tools that these team members have never had. Um, and then more recently, I took over the EXO shared business, which is really exciting. So not only am I overseeing service, but I get to oversee the full PL. So I get to oversee our service team, our pricing team, scheduling team, work with our product managers who works alongside with tech, uh, work alongside with marketing. So it's definitely a different scope, um, but you can dive deep, right? Which is what I was not able to do in the previous role. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, so I have some follow-up questions to help because it took me a while to learn the aviation speak. So will you give us a definition of what you mean by off-fleet sourcing and shared, kind of what those two buckets are? Sure. 
So when I say off fleet, so within the Vista Global Group, we have about 300 plus owned aircraft that we, within our operations that we have, uh, we manage a fleet of, of aircraft, right? So we own, we monitor the maintenance, we own the fuel, we can put our clients on those aircraft and there's no, you know, upcharge premium. We just pay the cost on those aircraft. When our team says off fleeting, that means we're using operators outside of our owned fleet. Meaning we do a one-off contract, um, similar to if you rent a car, right? If your friend is going to borrow your car, oh yeah, just go put gas in it, right? You can borrow a car. Now, if you want to go and rent a car and you go to, you know, any of the million rental cars uh, that are available, you go and they charge you and you pay a little bit of, of a premium because there's contracting involved. That's what we mean when you're off fleet. So there's a million options out there. You just want to find the best one for your client, right? Best in quality, best in price, uh, best available, right? Highest safety rating, all of those things. Um, and that's what off fleeting and sourcing do. So that's two in the same there. And then when I say shared, so our EXO shared business, that's referring to public shared charters. So a public shared charter means Erin and I want to, we want to fly. She's going to come to South Florida. We're going to fly up to New York. Maybe Erin and I don't want to spend $25,000 on our own jet, but we'll go ahead and maybe we'll pay $1,500 or so for a seat and we'll still have the same lovely private experience. So we can reduce our costs by sharing that aircraft with, with other clients, other consumers. Um, and EXO in, those, in that market, in that pr product, we take the risk um, by still providing a wonderful service. So when it comes to going back to your Jet Smarter days and that growth and that run up to being acquired by Vista, how many total employees were at Jet Smarter at that time? What was the size of the company? We were over 250, I think, at that point. And how many yeah. had there been when, how many employees were there when you started? Do you remember? I think I was number, I might have been number like 55. Okay, so you were there for a big growth run even before Vista got acquired. Oh, yeah. So everyone that was on your sourcing team before you got acquired, who did? how many of those people did you inherit and how many of those people did you hire? I hired every single one of them, actually. Uh, no, one of them I inherited. I hired from, from ExoJet. So I brought her in. And then every other team member we hired directly. Because we were the only company at that time that had a sourcing department because we didn't have a fleet. So we didn't have our own fleet of aircraft. Everything we did at JetSmarter was off fleet, right? So we had to go and, and source and contract with all of these other aircraft. So let's, going back to the beginning of your career post-college, what age were you when you first started managing people? I was 25. So we had a team of four of us. So I was overseeing two or three team members at that time. So when you became, when you started overseeing those people, had you been a peer to them before that? Or were you always their manager from that initial relationship? I, with two, with one of them, I was a peer. Yeah. With one of them, I was a peer. Um, and then the other two, I helped hire and bring them into our team as we started growing. So for the one that was your peer, did Becoming their manager, did that seem any different from the other people that you were managing? Yeah. Um, I would say that was easier than co-managing a team, a small team with somebody. 
Ooh, that let's get into that. I don't even think I know that you did that. Oh, yeah. the Yeah, that was very tough because I was also, again, to add a little bit of gender into it, I was also pregnant with my first, right? So I'm, I'm young. I'm my husband and I are pregnant and I'm like hiding it for as long as I can. Uh, and then I have a new person join the team who I didn't bring onto the team. They were kind of like pulled onto the team at the exact same level. So you had two managers over a six person team, which is way a, too much. Way too heavy. Yeah. On the top. Yeah. Way too heavy when the scope of your team is at that point so tiny. Right. So I'm extremely competitive. Right. So we're fighting over tasks that we didn't need to fight over. Right. And we're young. Um, and then obviously I was gone. I only took four weeks off for maternity leave because of this. That's so short. Was like, Jen. Four weeks. Oh, I know. Oh I know. Goodness. I tell people like take as much time. You're never going to get the time back. But I, you know, I don't practice what I, what I preach over here. Um, but it was because we were all so young and I immediately thought I was going to lose out on opportunity if I was home. Right. So it's a real feeling. Um, but I, I worked from home for a couple of weeks after, but I was back online right at week five, um, working with a team, this and that. And then you have the team members reaching out saying, you know, we can't wait for your back. We want you back. Da, da, da. And I was like, and we have zero development at this point. Right. There was zero leadership support we're in a full startup, right? So it's just like kind of jump in and wing it and hope for the best. So fortunately, there's a lot of grit that comes out of that and a lot of resilience uh, from team members. Uh, it ended up working out fine in the end. Uh, he's still extremely successful. We both have gone, we both have grown um, from it. But it took us sitting in a boardroom that's fully glass in front of the entire company with our manager at the time and we had to hash it out on like on almost full display. I think we were both crying. There was a whole thing involved, oh, but in the end it worked out um, because we had to like get to the root of what the problem was. And we at the end, when we got to the root, it was just that there was no clarity in roles. That's the it. core of everything, clarity. But, yeah, so like all we needed to understand was what we were both really strong at and that we didn't need to like, I didn't need to jump in his lane. He didn't need to jump in my lane. It was confusing for the team members that were reporting to both of us because then they would come to me and not this other person or they would go to him and I'm like, but like once we got to the nitty gritty and cleaned everything up, it was, it was incredible what we were able to do after that. Um, and then after acquisition was when we load leveled or when we leveled out to where I moved into a director role. Um, so it's, so it, it, it all panned out and, you know, clarity was aligned and it all, it worked out really well. So talk me through your titles from beginning to, to the director level. What were your titles? I started as an aviation specialist. Okay. Um, knowing nothing about aviation, but had to, having to learn on the fly and take notes on a legal pad and learn what a Lear 45 was and a Lear 60 and all these other, you know, aircraft and how many seats they had. Um, and then I moved to sourcing supervisor. So that was when I was overseeing a smaller group, a smaller team, um, and then jumped to manager of, of off-fleet sourcing or sourcing at the time. 
and then oversaw when we were, after we were acquired, I moved into director of sourcing. So that's when we were saying, uh, uh, sourcing for the entire company. And then after a year, two years of that, I moved into director of client services and sourcing. So that's when I absorbed the client services team. My team went from my people scope went from 13 to 58, um, overnight, which is when I wish I had Aaron. And then after a few months, then we, we really like, we, we were diving into the whole business of whatnot at the time. And we realized that client services is not the title we wanted or needed for the, this level of clientele. Uh, so we moved it to account management. So that's when I became the vice president of account management. And then after two years, and then now I'm the, uh, senior vice president over the exo shared business. So under, while you were the VP, your team grew from what to what? It started at 53 between what client services had and what I was bringing with sourcing. And it grew to, I think I was up to a hundred the day I, the day I just transitioned into exo shared. It was huge. You had a big team, a really big scope and you had, yeah, we had every, I think we had every continent almost except Antarctica. Yeah. So everything was rolled up. You had, you had global at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. and things have, have since gotten split up. So things have gotten restructured and what's really, you touched on this earlier, but what's really fascinating about your current role is while your scope of numbers of people you oversee is different, I think you actually have a harder job in some ways because you now have to really influence people that you don't directly oversee. And that can be in multiple different functions. Oh yeah. So you're like a baby CEO. Yeah. For my business, it's like a baby CEO. Um, so it's overseeing all facets right now, which is exciting, right? Before it was, it was just managing, truly it was just managing sourcing and service, right? Or service recovery, which is, it can be exhausting. Um, but it was, I mean, it was rewarding. It was great. It was amazing to see people grow, but in this role, it gets a lot, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's different. It's a different muscles that you have to flex, right. That I haven't, I haven't, you know, lifted that weight in a minute. Um, but you start looking at things, not only are your clients happy, but is the business making money? And then how can we make a little bit more? And are we marketing it correctly? And then what is the partnerships that we're going to tap into to enhance this service experience? So it's looking at what's the schedule? Do we have the right schedule for our clients and our, what, are, what do our clients want to fly this schedule? So it's really looking at each facet of the business and tying it all up, right? If you think of a company as a bench or as a stool, it needs four legs to stand on. And if it doesn't have, if, if marketing is missing, a leg falls off, right? Your leg's gonna be tilted. Uh, so that's kind of what we were seeing when I first took over this team is, we either didn't have enough supply or we didn't have marketing. We had enough clients, but did we have enough aircraft, right? So you have to make sure all your legs on the stool are aligned. And once we figured out what the sauce was, then we can start making money and, and start, you know, breaking company records at this point. So, so awesome. So you are proof, you're living proof of something that I try to talk to a lot of people about, but is that in terms of getting experience and growing your career, sometimes you're making changes that are not necessarily straight up a ladder. Actually, some of the most successful people kind of wiggle around throughout the company and you've gone from sourcing to taking over this thing to going back. And 
it just has expanded what you have had exposure to. You have so many stories now because of the things you've been exposed to. One, yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I do think there's times where I, I was taking it for granted. I was like, can I just focus here? But then knowing me, I'm like, I can't right? I'm the first person. If somebody needs help in a certain department, I'm like, I'll run over and figure out how to help them because it's a learning opportunity. And I'm, my self-assurance kicks in and knowing that I might know the right answer, which sometimes I don't, but you know, I just want to tap in a little bit more and just to figure out what that big picture looks like. Cause the one thing I hate, and it's like when you're in school or anything, and I tell this to all, even all of our new hires is once you understand, it's like, when you get into aviation or you get into this business, it's like you're trying to put a puzzle together, but you don't know what the puzzle looks like. So you're looking at all of these pieces that are all different colors. You don't know what it is. But once you understand what the puzzle big picture looks like, you know exactly where to grab the pieces and you know when a piece is missing. Yep. And you know exactly what that piece looks like. So everything starts to connect. So in this industry, in really any industry, if you don't understand what picture looks like and you can't zoom back, you can't solve the problem up close, right? So if you don't understand big, you can't dive deep and understand how to constantly tweak and fix it a little bit. Absolutely. And and growth businesses are so different from what I call maintenance businesses. And you've made a lot of, all of your experience has been in an environment where you don't have everything in front of you. You don't have all the resources. You don't have all the people. You're always kind of under from a resource standpoint. And sometimes that's knowledge for you. So one of those things is in all reality, that VP role you took on was a big stretch role for you. Now looking back, what would you have done differently as a manager than what you did over that period of time, taking on so many people? I would have slowed down. I would have took my foot off of the gas pedal because I was in full startup pedal to the metal mode when what we needed at that time was really to slow down and, and fix and build foundation. So when I got into that role, I was, you know, in hindsight, I probably came in guns a blazing, more excited than anyone around me, but like ready to help and make change. And I was, did I made decisions and stuff before I knew the big picture, right? And then we still, I mean, even with our department that we have, the, the account management department, we still make jokes about some of the decisions that we made pretty quickly. And I was like, my bad, right? Should have asked the question. But I would have fully slowed down, don't like taken a minute to actually onboard myself into what this team was going through and look at the data. Instead, everything at that moment was surface level. And what happened is for the next year and a half, two years, I didn't have time to dive deep. So everything stayed surface level. So really the only time you have to onboard is in those first 30, 60, 90 days. And after that, you're expected to run a business, right? You're expected to be fully engulfed into what you're doing and, and knowledgeable of what you're doing. And that was a big miss for me. I didn't even know where to start in those 30, 60, right? I had no onboarding plan process. It was like, oh, Jen's been here. She knows it. Like, I've been here, but in a totally different piece of the business, right? I can tell you every fuel provider. I can tell you every aircraft that's out there, every operator, how much it's going to cost these clients, right? Like that was, that was like breathing to me. 
but understanding what these systems and processes and who these people are and how their org is set up. Like it was, I mean, it was night and day and it was, frankly, it was pretty messy, right? It was not a great org structure that we had. So we had to rebuild everything. Um, and they use so many different vendors, right? So I can talk to aircraft providers all day, but you throw me into catering vendors and ground transportation and hotels. And I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> so there, there's so many, so many things that I needed to learn and just never did. Um, and I, I mean, what I really spent my first 30 days in was getting to know the people on my team and hearing their feedback. Uh, but a lot at that time, right. It was during the pandemic, it was fr frustration that they're so busy, there's not enough help. So it was really hearing a lot of frustrated people um, who were also not right for the, the job, right? There were people who I, who I met and the first thing they said was, by the way, I'm a really negative person. I'm like, that's what you're gonna tell me the first time? And your role is client services? And then the next person said, I just don't like talking to people. And I'm like, what is, and it was just the most bizarre things I was hearing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this was, so we had to do a lot of restructuring. We had to revamp the job description, right? We had to get new people in, in there really to come in and raise the bar and not just hire people for the sake of hiring people, but hiring people that not only are gonna do well, but are going to make the company better, right? So it's, we're the right fit for them and they're the right fit for us. Um, so our, our early focus turned into hiring. And then that's when, you know, we're still fixing a lot of the, the deep problems, right? Like the foundational pieces uh, with client data, with software, with, you know, certain technology pieces that the team is working on. Um, but yeah, that's what I would have changed was truly get an onboarding foundation in those first two to three months. And I think we would have catapulted even faster, right? It probably would have taken more time early, but... I mean, it would have saved light years of time after the fact. You were talking about the ramp and what you would have done differently yourself. How do you feel like some of that impacted your direct reports and your relationship with them and giving them what they needed? I think I, they took on too much too early um, because we had, we were in such a growth mode and there was no outside of me, right? There was really no hierarchy, right? It was me and then a flat line so then it's they all kind of get without ha without meaning to right they're all peers at the same title same level but also fighting for their space right fighting for a little bit of recognition right and they're all extremely hard workers who understand they've all been they have tenure within the company right they have a name themselves and they want to continue to make a name for themselves so i think what i thought they needed was, okay, let me give this person a little bit more. They, they seem like they want more, more responsibility, more ownership. And they would happily take it, right? Because it was something that they could call their own because they didn't have a title or a function that was solely theirs. So they took this on and then they took this on and then they took on more. And then we were all running in different directions with the same goal in mind because we would regroup and reconnect. But it kind of just kind of after two years, there was, there became a lot of power struggles. Uh, and I think the biggest thing came from a lack of alignment in, in organization, right? Because we, they should have had, we, we needed to have somebody between my role and them um, 
just to help them get through these projects while maintaining their books of business, while supporting and developing their team members, right? Because they also all have six to eight employees reporting under them, right? And a whole book of clients up to $100 million that, that they have to manage. Uh, so there was, that definitely had a big impact, right? I think we were also focused on building the business and we kind of took ourselves out of it and, you know, their own development out of it. Um, so that was a, that was a tough, a tough piece that I think we're still trying to work through. When you talk about boundaries and how you saw that operate, because the, the organization is very close knit. So what would you have done differently from a boundary standpoint with, if anything? I would have set them. <laughs> um, I think because Same. of what we were going through, um, because of what we were going through at the time, I there were times where I felt, okay, I need to be a leader. I need to build this organization to scale, right? I need to focus on what is the CRM tool that we're going to use? What is the telephony system that we're going to move forward with, right? What is our framework to build? And then there were times, which was the majority of the time, was how do we keep this house from imploding? How do we keep putting out these fires? This team member, I mean, you're, we're dealing with a time where aircraft maintenance is taking too long, parts are delayed, aircraft supply is low, aircraft travel is skyrocketing in the busiest year we've ever had. So we're dealing with disappointed clients, we're dealing with you know, a system, a system malfunction, we're dealing with so many different things being thrown at my team member who is, my team members who are closer to the front line than I am, so those were the times where boundaries are off. Like I am in, like I am right there with you. How can I support you? Right. There were times where maybe they needed to let off steam and I was like, okay, let's let it off. And it would usually be work related, not personal related or anything like that. Um, but because that happened so early on, it was so hard to reset boundaries. Right. So when it came time where we're okay, we have time to sit, scale and build those boundaries were already knocked down. That the respect from being, I'm not your best friend, I'm your manager, was really hard to rebuild. Um, and I think it took this org structure needed to rehappen, this reorg, right? For those, boundary, those boundaries to be put in play. Because there was a time where, you know, my directors had, where though I was overseeing everything, they had more on their direct plate, right? Than I maybe did because they're actually overseeing the technical stuff, right? How do we integrate with this system? How do we integrate with here? How do we process this? How do we build this workflow? And we didn't have a, you know, a, a training manager, right? At the time building all this stuff, it was our directors building it. So the amount of hats everybody was wearing for the company of our size, it felt too startup-y, right? For how big we, have, how big we were. Uh, and it was because of massive growth that we had. So like, it was truly, build, 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 and then try to keep the business from exploding and try to keep our clients happy and do whatever you can to deliver a world-class service and hire the right people that can come in and raise this, the bar on service. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the boundaries, the boundaries came down, I would say in 2021 was probably the toughest year uh, for the industry as a whole, not just our company. 2021 was really, really tough. And then 2022 was another building year for us, but it was, yeah, it was really hard to put those boundaries back up. In your position, you're, you've got people reporting to you, but you've also got a boss. 
And so your boss, how was that with advocating for him with what you needed? And do you feel like you could have done things differently in your relationship with him? Yes. Um, because I have a competitive can-do mindset, and I've always been the yes man, right? I've always been the one, and you could ask anyone on my team, they would say, Jen, no. And I'm like, but yeah, right? <laughs> like, I would be the one to be like, yeah, yeah, we'll take that. Yeah, we can do that. And I would just take too much on because I can see it all and figure out how to make it work. I think I was letting my team take too much stuff on. Um, and unfortunately for them, they were troopers, right? Which caught up to us in 2021, 2022, where we were six months behind on hiring, maybe more, we're probably a year behind on hiring. Uh, because with every time you hire, right, doesn't matter how amazing your company is, there is a risk on attrition. And when we're bringing people in who come from a Monday through Friday, nine to five type of schedule, and they're coming in and working, truly, they can be on any day, seven days a week, 365, 24 hours, like our, our planes are always in the air. It's really hard to adjust. And then it's not a normal company where you don't have every holiday off right? Our planes fly on the holidays. Our trips have to get briefed on holidays. So it's really hard to retain that type of talent uh, in hospitality, right? So it's not just aviation industry, right? It's hospitality in general. People who work in hospitality work every day of the year. Um, so for me, I definitely didn't do as great of a job, I would say, advocating for what we needed, right? And part of it, I think, was because I'd never dove deep enough into the problem to know okay, we need 60 people to do this. I need three more teams to manage this volume. We're, we're scaling and growing at a way faster rate than we can hire, train, develop, and promote people into leadership roles. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't even have a bench at that point, right? We truly didn't have a full bench of leaders that wanted to come in and all of a sudden be, you know, go from their 40 hours a week with maybe a little bit of overtime to becoming 24 seven phone call away from clients. And that's, I mean, it's, it's a tough, I mean, our, our directors went through, a, I mean, they went through more, probably some of the toughest years of their life with the volume that we had, that they took on. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of projects that I know you wanted to touch and get to that you couldn't even, you were like, I just, I, there's only one of me, there's only so much time. And you laid the groundwork for things like leveling and, that should be crossing the finish line now. And you knew your instincts are so good in business. Like from the time where of you saying putting IREPs into place to getting the data back at the Jet Smarter days, like your instincts are are there. It's just from our conversations, it's been more of that figuring out the resourcing and and not saying yes to everything. And you've done a really good job in your in your current situation of putting up those boundaries from what you learned. It was a really good learning experience and a good time to shift within company that a lot of people don't get to do that within the same company. Yeah, it's really been, and I'm really excited for this one. Um, it, it really ties in a lot of what I've worked on over the last few years, uh, but with a different viewpoint, I would say, uh, and, and with a fresh viewpoint, right? It's different team members. It's a little bit different team members, right? I've worked with some of them. Uh, but it's also a different skill set that they they have, right? So it's people who come with financial backgrounds, right? And even working with a marketing team a little bit closer and learning that piece of the business. Um, our client services team, right? It's 
they're still newer client services reps, but really diving into how do you elevate the service that they're providing. But then, I mean, for me, it's learning how to set boundaries, not only with my direct reports, but setting boundaries with the people who I report to and learning to say, I, I, I don't have the time I, or I can't, or to do this, this is what I need. Yeah. Instead of just saying, yeah, done, have it, I'll have it done by the end of the day. Yeah. Which was the answer for the last seven years. And really, what was the end of your day? I mean, how many hours were you working? Oh, my goodness. If I got out before the sun in the summertime, which is at like 830, it would be a surprise. And you've talked about like, the impact to your family, because I know you've talked to me about that, what your family saw and has seen in you throughout your journey. They've seen a lot of gray hairs. <laughs> um. But they've, no, I've, they've definitely seen a lot of late, late nights. Um, and I've obviously I've said I have two kids and uh, my husband works full time, right? So we're fortunate that we have family close by who helps watch the kids after daycare, watches them after school and helps pick them up. Uh, but then I have to, I pick them up on my way home from work. So it's, you know, 40 minutes to go pick them up another 30 minutes home. And I mean, to my kids, right, they sometimes they don't get in home until 8 30 at night wow or they weren't getting home until 8 30 at night and then they have to be up at seven for school so it's really tough on on them right physically because they need to go to sleep they need to get to bed earlier um and then there was a ton of nights right as soon as they go to bed we're back on the computer yeah right finalizing something or touching something up or sending a last minute email um or jumping on an hour-long phone call right uh, so that was, it's definitely like, that was probably one of the things I'm most grateful for in this new transition, right? Is I can really dive deep because it's a smaller amount of people, though it's a bigger scope. I can really dive deep with the people who I work with. Um, and it's a single product that has multiple different facets about it, but you can dive into each of them, right? And you could dive in using the right data and having good data behind it. And there's not a lot of ambiguity as well, which is nice. What advice would you give yourself as a baby manager? Going back to that first, knowing what you felt in that world, that chaos, what would you tell 25-year-old Jen? Oof. I would say trust your gut, but back it with data. The answer's in there. Just have the data to support it. And slow down. Like, it's all going to come. Just slow down. <laughs> and then who had the biggest impact on your management journey? Who kind of built, has that leadership legacy that's really made a difference in your life? I think of this one, I have a few different people, right? I would say the most important one is my current, the person I report to today, um, Rajat. He has, he's the first person who's actually said, you're going to be great, but we need to develop you. And that was like the aha moment, like, wait, I can get development, right? Like I can get support where before, and I mind you, I've reported to so many people it, before it was trial by fire, right? Figure it out on the fly. Here's a book, go read a book, right? And you get one book in seven years. Um, you know, and he was the first person who said, we're tackling people development. We're building this bench, right? That's how he can leave a legacy of building great leaders. And that's, I mean, I, I can't thank him enough for that, right? I think that's what's connected us. 
right? My career, my framework, and just the way I think about business has altered over the last two and a half years. Uh, so light years of, of change in that time frame. And then before that, I think the people who had biggest impact, right? My dad was an incredible leader, manager, hard worker. And then my, my coach when I played in, in college, right? Avid, she was a mom, she was a hard worker. She, I mean, was a mom to like 20 other athletes basically to when she was coaching. Um, but grit, accountability, all of that came, came from her. Jen, from your perspective and your experience, what is the number one thing that makes you manager material, that makes someone manager material? I would say passion for people, right? You have to have a level of being compassionate and you want to have the ability to win, right? If you're not going to be compassionate about the people you work with, nobody's going to want to work with you and they're not going to want to win next to you. If you don't have a winner's mindset where everything we're going to do is we're going to do with excellence and we're going to do it with success and we're going to win together as a team, nobody's going to want to be on your team, right? Because no one's going to want to be on a losing team. So I think being compassionate with the people who you work with, but doing it with a winner's mindset, I think really makes somebody, I don't want to say a savage, but like out there to win, out there to build businesses, out there to make companies money while keeping your employees, keeping your team members happy. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I love spending time with you and I just am so thankful that you were willing to be vulnerable and share some of the missteps and the things that you would do differently, the gaps there, because we've all made mistakes as managers and for people listening who might be about to start that journey, that's going to happen and that's real. And this is how we help each other like I've always pictured, you know, as we grow in our career, we look back and we help the next person up the ladder and you're doing just that. And so I'm very, very thankful for, for you being here today. Yes. And thank you for having me. I love always our talks and I always love catching up. And I think this next generation of leaders are just have all the tools in front of them and they just need to grab them. Welcome to the Manager Material Membership. I'm so glad you're part of this community. Join us and introduce yourself. Meet others to connect, learn, and share with. We're focused on tools and resources for manager development in a community filled with managers just like you facing similar challenges and experiences. Development trainings are dropped each month and action guides help show you the way with common templates for managing your team. Podcasts where we chat with managers who have been in your shoes are released weekly with materials designed just for members to follow along. So join now and let's get going on making you manager material.